The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. So good, good evening, everyone, and welcome. I appreciate that you made the effort to come on this stormy night. So for those of you who don't know me, I'm Andrea Castillo, and I've been teaching here Dharma in Spanish now for about 11 years. Uh, so the topic for the, the talk today is generosity and ethics as a prerequisites for meditation. And I found very interesting that... Um, in reading one of the discourses of the Buddha in the, the one about the gradual training, that he talks about these two qualities as two qualities we want to begin with in our practice. First, to lay the foundation before we begin to meditate. So, we can say that these two qualities are the most basic ways to prepare ourselves. Generosity, I see as a way to, it's like as if you were to take the earth and start to loosen it up. And then the ethics is like, pulling out the weeds, all the things we don't need for then be able to plant something that will be wholesome for us. So <clears throat> the Buddha made sure that his followers had really had these two qualities well established before he taught them to meditate. But here in the West, we, we rush to begin with meditation. And many people have great difficulties with it because we haven't done the preparatory work. And nowhere did I see it more clearly than um, some years ago when I was working with uh, sexual offenders that had just come out of prison. And I was to teach them meditation. And it was really an eye-opening experience for me to see how tremendously difficult it was for them. It was painful for them and for me to see what it took for them to sit quietly and have to face themselves. I remember particularly one, one, one man who would just sit and after just a minute, he would just start sweating. He could only sit for a couple of minutes. It was just too difficult. Now, of course, this is an extreme situation, but I think that for us, too, sometimes we have a hard time settling in because we notice perhaps we were not kind with somebody or... Uh, in some ways, we didn't follow uh, what we know is an ethical way of living. So, 
as we train ourselves with, with ethics, is as if we are preparing ourselves to give the gift to others of being harmless. And that's a very beautiful thing for other people to feel safe with us. And I want to, um, although the training begins with generosity, in this talk I want to begin with, uh, with ethics, uh, just because I want to leave the generosity at the end. It's, it's such a sunny topic that I wanted to leave you with that at the end. So one, one thing that I have noticed here in, in the West is that um, with, with the popularization of mindfulness, often we have lost sight of uh, the connection of mind, mindfulness with the rest of the Dharma and specifically of ethics. And this is a real problem and a real loss. Because then what the meditation and mindfulness ends up uh, being is just like a way to relax ourselves. It's kind of like what I like to call the spy effect. And yeah, I mean, it's nice and it's very positive to, to have this relaxing effect of the meditation. But if we don't use it as a means to really learn how to more and more free ourselves from suffering then the effect of the relaxation is just going to last only as long as, um, you know, like a, a, a massage. It's just, you know, a little bit afterwards we fall into something that's unskillful and we, we tense our whole self again. So as we train ourselves with ethics, we are training ourselves... It's very important to make ourselves aware from where it begins, which is in our minds, which is with with our thoughts. That's very important. A lot of times these thoughts is where this unwholesomeness begins, and we notice that when they are already very well established. But if we catch them at the beginning, we have much more of a chance that we'll be able to pull them out, stop them, change. So we want to be a, train ourselves to watch our thoughts and then, of course, our speaking and our actions. So the most succinct way that we can express ethics for us in, in the context of, of the Dharma is... Um, Via an equation, we can say ethics equals happiness. It's just as, as simple. You know, to look at it that we are not required to be ethical, but that, that if we want to live a, a life that is happy, that we're, we're carefree, that we need to work on our ethics. And so this is looked, you know, following the, these uh, uh, general guidelines of an ethical life um, is seen as a logical and natural way to, um, to have 
a happy life. And they're just as natural as the laws of gravity. You know, just like everything in our planet is subject to the law of gravity, the same is true for us. When our thoughts and words and actions arise from a skillful place, then we will be happy. And when they arise from greed, hatred, and ignorance, they will lead us to suffering. So the guiding principles that we have in the Dharma, and that maybe some of you already know, are the precepts. You know, this is just kind of like the most rudimentary way of um, presenting us some guides of how to live our lives. But what we want to keep in mind is just because they are rudimentary, it doesn't mean that we are beyond it. You know, sometimes we feel, oh, I know the precepts, memorize them, I'm beyond them. But I think we all have to stop and rethink how is it that each one of these precepts encompasses a whole range from something very uh, obvious and terrible to something quite subtle that we can actually fall into easily. Mm. And so we can look, for example, with the first one, you know, refrain from, from taking life. Um, I think when we hear this, we all say, oh, yeah, yeah, of course, I don't, I don't take anybody's life. But how do we deal when we have a problem of ants in our house? You know, that, that's, that's something that happens to all of us or, or mice, or how do we deal with a situation of a pet that is already very old? Do we consider euthanasia for the pet? Now, so there are these other issues that we really need to consider. And the wonderful thing about the way we work with the, with the precepts is that they invite us. They're an invitation for us to stop and be discerning, to really look carefully the unique situation. What are the components of the situation and what is the wisest thing given the situation? And so the second one, refrain from taking what has not been given. You know, there's of course the obvious, you know, stealing something, but then there's something that is very common that people do, that they are in the office and there's, there's a lot of paper and you just take some paper home or some folders or um, often we don't think in those terms or uh, sometimes with taxes you know people are always kind of looking at ways of, of go around it uh, and, and perhaps not pay what it is fair or one that the first time I heard it I thought hmm I would have never thought about this as, as taking something that is not given and that is arriving late. It actually is one of those subtle ways that we're actually taking the time of somebody else that maybe is waiting for us that was not given to us. So you see how it gets really interesting if, if we take the time to really look at this. And the more we practice, the more we become more sensitive to pick out these 
uh, things that make you want to be more precise, more careful, more subtle in your decisions. The third one, refrain from causing harm with our sexuality. First of all, I think this is a wonderful way of putting it. The first time I heard it, I thought, wow, what a, what a simple and wise way of, of, de- of talking about sexuality. Don't harm with your energy, with your sexual energy. And so here, of course, um, we know that one, one obvious and, and egregious one would be to impose ourselves sexually to somebody else. But, you know, on the other extreme could be something like flirting. You might think that is very innocent, but sometimes it actually can cause harm. Another one would be the, con- the consuming of pornography. You know, how does it make you feel to consume pornography? And then the fourth one, refraining from speaking falsehoods. There's, of course, the obvious, you know, lying on purpose. But uh, then there's the other one that I actually noticed in myself some years ago. And that is that often when we're telling a story to friends, we tend to exaggerate just a little bit. You notice? Just to make it a little more interesting. And I said that's a good one to just kind of catch ourselves and say, no, no, I don't have to do this. You know, just, just really notice, notice that. And then the last one of refraining from consuming alcohol or, or drugs, you know, which, which we know you, you can really harm yourself and others if you do it unskillfully. Um, <clears throat> but then, you know, there's the, the other more subtle that you drink a little and you get kind of goofy and, and uh, maybe very entertaining. But how easy it is to let some, something come out because your tongue is kind of loose and you let something come out that... That can, that can hurt somebody. So this is just, in, in general, some of the things that we can think of. Um, but I actually wanted to share with you uh, one particular example that, um, of a question that, that was posed to me when, when I was teaching a retreat. And I was uh, some years ago when uh, George Floyd was murdered, I was teaching a retreat online, and there was a, a Latino man living in New York who, who told me, um, look, I'm somebody who have committed to following the precepts, but I have to tell you that I don't feel safe in the streets anymore in New York. You know, he was somebody who, who participated a lot in, in racial uh, you know, demonstrations. And so... <clears throat> He said, um, I just don't feel safe, and I want to buy a gun. What do you think? So this is a very interesting question. Now, he said he had already made, he hadn't bought it, but he had already made all the, the necessary uh, paperwork that, that was needed to, to, to buy the gun. And so... The interest, what I find interesting when, when one is in the teaching position is that you cannot take the decision for somebody else. Somebody has, everybody has to carry their own responsibility of their decisions. And so what I did was to, to say, well, well, why don't we just think together? I'm going to ask you some questions because the way I can help you 
is to help you consider carefully. And so some of the questions that I ask is, what is your motivation for having a gun? And what attitude is behind that motivation? And then try to really imagine how would you feel if you possessed a gun, you had a gun at home or carried one with you. Also try to imagine how would you feel if you actually had to use the gun? And how would it be to live with yourself the rest of your life if you had to use the gun and you harmed somebody? Or how would you feel if you were attacked and you didn't have the gun? And I also ask, can, can you think of another option where you don't cause harm and you do manage to protect yourself? Because one of the things that I've noticed, when you really stop to think about it, clarity happens, and somehow a creativity also arises. And you think of options in a that you hadn't even thought about it. So you reframe it. So maybe the question is not going to be, should I buy a gun? But maybe the question is going to be, how could I protect myself in a way that is not non-harming? That's quite different, isn't it? And so, so these questions, we can pose ourselves these questions and then come up with a more refined way of asking ourselves. The first time I heard this, I was, I was very intrigued, and that is that when you follow rules rigidly or ethical principles rigidly, you don't mature. But yeah, that makes total sense, right? Because if you follow them rigidly, you are not stopping to really consider how do I stand how do I stand with this? How, how do I really, what, what, is, what is my attitude towards this? Because sometimes we're going to find in situations where breaking the precepts is the right thing to do. But when that, when that situation happens, then there are two things we have to keep in mind. One is to be very aware What is the attitude that you have as you break the precept? Is it benevolent? Have you come to the conclusion, in this particular situation, this is the most benevolent thing I can do? And you also realize that you are going to carry some karma with it. Because there will be some consequences, but if you took that decision based on this is the wisest and the most benevolent option, then consequences won't be that bad for you. And the last thing I want to say about about ethics is uh, something that I heard from from Kamala Masters, this wonderful teacher um, that has a center in Maui, She puts it in such a positive way when she talks about ethics. She says, we're dealing either with purification or purifying. 
And so what she means is that when you are being mindful and you check in with yourself and you notice right now there are no unskillful mind states. So I haven't broken any precepts. So that means right now there is purification. There is purification in me. But what about if you stop and notice and you are assailed with some of the obstacles, you know, with greed or or sloth and torp or whatever it's present. Then you begin to work with them. And there are many ways, that many tools that we can use to know how to work with them. And then what's happening? Then, then purification is happening. And so we can see that, that this keeps us engaged. We are looking at the reality of what's going on, but it's in a very positive way. It, it, there's either purification present or we're in the process of purifying. So that's as far as, um, that's all I want to say, as far as ethics. And now going on <clears throat> to generosity or dana is a topic that I like very much to talk about. So generosity implies giving myself, of myself to others, whether material or immaterial goods such as my time or my attention. And we can say that generosity is not just an isolated event of giving something to someone, but is a quality that we want to cultivate and embody. And so generosity of spirit can be expressed in many wonderful ways. It can be expressed in a smile, It can be expressed as really listening to somebody. It can be expressed in just saying thank you to somebody. Or it can also be expressed as not judging ourselves mercilessly when we notice that we've done something wrong. When we give wisely, we're told in the Dharma that we experience joy before, during, and after. And if you've paid attention when you've given in a, in a wise way, it is so much the case. Practicing generosity is a wonderful way of having access to joy at any time. And in Asian countries, generosity is something that is practiced, and taught to little children. Children, while still in arms, are taught how to offer, even if it's just a handful of rice, to the monks who come and ask for food. also found interesting that in Burma, when it's your birthday, you don't give birth, you, you, you don't receive presents, but you give presents which is such a wonderful thing. And I actually just had the experience a couple of years ago of a dear friend of mine who turned 90, and she asked us all, don't bring presents. And what she did was to give each one of us 
in her party a book of her best poems that she had written in the last 30 years. It was such a beautiful gesture of sharing something so meaningful. It's kind of the harvest of her life. And so we all practice generosity in, in different ways. Some, for some of us, it comes more natural, and for others, not so natural. Um, <clears throat> but what is really wonderful in the way that the Buddha taught is that he was such a fantastic teacher, and he always knew who he had in front of him, and how he was going to teach them. And there is one way that he, he taught generosity, generosity. I think it's wonderful. It assures that you will succeed. And the teaching is very simple. The teaching is that you take one stone with your right hand, and you put it on your left hand. Okay, I think this we can, we can all do. And it basically is getting the feel of this idea of how renunciation is related to generosity. In order for this hand to receive the stone, this one has to let go of it. So it's just a very simple thing. So imagine that we can teach that to a child, you know, something very simple where a child can feel very, very good about himself or herself, and then go on later to share something that's much harder, like to share a toy. When um, we feel the impetus to, to be generous, we're told in the Dharma, follow that impetus. And so the last thing I wanted to, to share with you is an experience that I had not that long ago, um, where I was able to see a series of very beautiful, uh, generous gestures that made a big, big difference for for somebody. Um, So last November, I had the good fortune to visit an indigenous community of the Guambianos in the Colombian Andes. And our last day, as we were leaving the town closest to the reservation, I got to talking to an indigenous woman. She was a grandmother, and she was there with her little granddaughter. And she was wearing her traditional Guambiano clothing, which is this long woolen black skirt and this royal blue kind of a shawl and this uh, fedora hat. And she told me she needed help to carry a rather big and heavy sack of potatoes that she herself had planted and harvested. She needed to get this enormous sack onto the bus. So a dear friend that was traveling with us was strong enough to lift it for her, and she was very, very happy. And once in the bus, we just sat together and and we continued talking. So it turns out that this woman was traveling, like us, all the way to the city of Cali. But her reason for traveling was rather sad, because she was uh, 
traveling to the city to visit her daughter or the little girl's mother in the hospital who was very ill. Now this lovely grandmother had arranged for somebody to buy her potatoes in the next town where we were going to stop. And she was doing that in order to have enough money for the trip. So as we arrived to the next uh, town, the person who was supposed to buy the potatoes from her was not there. And she explained to the bus driver that what, what happened and asked him, would you please wait for me to see if I can get somebody else to buy the potatoes? Now, try to imagine this situation in this country. Or in any city, I should say. But where I was in the area of these Guambianos, they have a very, very strong community, and they really they have a sense of belonging, and they really help each other. So the bus driver somehow recognized the plight that this poor woman was in and waited. And much to my amazement, not, there was not one person in the bus that complained. So we were about 30 people. We all just quietly sat in the bus and waited. And somehow, miraculously, the woman was able to sell her potatoes and not, you know, didn't take that long. I don't remember how long, but it wasn't that long. So the le- next leg of the, of the trip, because it was a pretty long trip, I sat next to the five-year-old and decided to share with her some of the, the, the things I remember from sharing with my son when he was little. So when I ran out and some of the, the, the songs that I knew in, in Spanish, I, I actually even translated a rather or improvised a rather questionable version of the wheels in the bus, but she loved it. And she, the, the grandmother sang along and did the hand movements. And so there we are in the bus doing our, our singing. And so in the next in the next stop she goes off with the grandmother to get to, to get some food and the bus happened to to stop right in front of a of a stationery store a very little humble looking stationery store and i <clears throat> somehow had the subtle sudden impulse to get off and and i thought it would be very nice to get this little girl a, a present so I walked into the, the stationery store and was able to find a very nice box of colored pencils and a little notebook with blank pages for her to draw on. So I made it back to the bus, and, and once, once they also returned, I presented it to, to the little girl, and her eyes just got so big. And she just was... Like she I love to draw, and she was just caressing the box of pencils and was just so was just so happy so it got dark and it got very quiet and as far as I knew, she had gone to sleep and suddenly, I see this little hand that went up she was sitting in front now in front of me, and this is the backrest, and I see this little hand that goes up. 
And she was doing like this with her fingers as if it was like a little bug that was looking for something. And so with my hand, I went like this and started to go on the other, in the other direction. When she felt my hand, she just took my hand. I, could, I couldn't see her face. And she just held it. And so most of the trip to Kali, we just sat there in silence and she held my hand. It was such a beautiful, simple way of her to say thank you. And so as soon as we got into the city of Kali, they, they got off. We said goodbye as, as if we were old friends. And there was a real sense in my heart that what the woman and the little girl had received from several people during the day was going to help them or carry them through the difficulty of encountering the heavenly messenger of illness once they were in the hospital. So just this remembering, you know, just this little gestures that we can do for each other of kindness, of generosity, that can make such big difference. And so to finish, I wanted to share a poem with you by Rosemary Wachola Trommer. It's called what it might Con- How It Might Continue. And for me, this poem kind of captures this idea of us being able to do something for somebody else that might seem like it's m- minor, that it doesn't, not, that doesn't really change much, but that inside something important happens. Wherever we go, the chance for joy, whole orchards of amazement, one more reason to always travel with our pockets full of exclamation marks, so we might scatter them for others like apple seeds. Some will dry out, some will blow away, but some will take root and grow exuberant groves filled with long, thin fruits that resemble one hand clapping, so much enthusiasm as they flutter back and forth, that although nothing's heard and though nothing's really changed, people everywhere for years to come will swear that the world is ripe with applause, will fill their own pockets with new seeds to scatter. So let us close our eyes for a moment. just allowing the words that you've heard on generosity and ethics allow them to come in to your heart to your mind
And may the words that you've heard today benefit yourselves and every person that you come in contact with. Thank you for your attention. And we have a couple minutes if anybody has a question or a comment. Good. We feel complete. So I thank you all. Be well. And a good evening to all.